Hello and welcome to Murder, Lies and Everything in Between, a true crime podcast with me, Jess, and my husband, Atty. How's it going, guys? You alright? Hope you are all good. Um, welcome to April's subscriber um, episode. Um, this is one of our first episodes we're actually releasing new for this. Um, so we hope you enjoy this case and we are going to jump right into it. We haven't got much to say today, have we, Atty? You might not have much to say. I have loads (laughs) to say. He always has a lot to say. This is Atty we're talking about. He never stays quiet. (laughs) So today we are going to um, the Hampshire area of the UK. So we are covering a UK case um, in this month's episode. And this is actually based near um, Portsmouth. So I had never heard of this crime. Um, I never even saw it really in the newspapers a lot, which was surprising because I do tend to hear about a lot of these. It's kind of my ears get pricked up when I see these cases come across the news. Um, And I do kind of try and keep an eye out for them. Um, But this one didn't happen that long ago. This is based actually in 2019, in 2020. Oh, not long ago. No, it's a very, very new kind of new case, I would say. So, as I said, this is based in Gosport, just across the um, water from Portsmouth. So it's on the south coast of Hampshire, and the population of Gosport is about just shy of 82,000 people. So not very big. It's not a very big area, Gosport. There's kind of very few roads in and out of it, and you have to get the ferry over to Portsmouth. So you can drive all the way around, but it's kind of a bit like... I don't want to triangulate where we are in the UK, um, but it's kind of like with us, if we were to go across the bridge or you could go all the way around, okay. it's the same kind of thing as with them. Um, so it's kind of isolated at the tip of kind of the country, I would say. So the area was well known to be good for kind of like families, old people, really, really good schools, like really good Ofsted reports for good schools in the area. And it's kind of like a really relaxed place to live. So really, really nice place to live for like families and all that kind of stuff. Kind of where me and you met. Yeah. Very much like that. Um, there's some really good pubs and there's lots of really like good cycle routes and cycle paths. So it's that kind of area to set the scene for you where this happened. It's a, quite a small community. Everybody kind of mostly knows everybody. Um, and there's not a lot of kind of crime in this area. It's not a very crime ridden area. Just more murders, yeah? No, <laughs> no, this is very few and far between. Um, there's lots of diverse kind of backgrounds in the area. So lots of different people from different ethnicities. Um, it's f- like kind of just friendly. It's just a friendly area. Most people spend most of their whole lives there. So what I would call lifers, I would say, people that live there for most of their lives and never kind of move away. Or if they do, they always kind of come back. So Kellyanne Case was one of those people. She was 27 years old at the time of this case, and she was born in 1992 in Gosport. She spent most of her life in that area, as I said, apart from kind of really, really short stints out of Gosport, but she would always come back. She was well known by people to be really bubbly, really fun. She was just really happy. She was just a really, really happy woman. She loved to dance. She loved sports. She liked rollerblading as kids. I mean, who didn't like rollerblading as kids around that age? Um, She loved doing activities. 
And her sister, Kerry, actually said that they would bicker all the time, but they would make up within half an hour. So what typical sisters do, a bit like what me and my sister used to kind of do as, as teenagers and kids. Kelly actually fell pregnant as a teenager. So she was quite young. She was quite a young mum. And she was really, really shocked at first about this. She never pictured herself. Her sister said she never pictured herself kind of ever having kids. Yeah. But she said that once it actually did happen, it was the best thing that ever happened to her. She didn't regret it. Yeah, that's so, what they all say. Yeah, a lot, a lot <laughs> of people do say that. I hear a lot of people with kids say that they never never wanted kids or never planned for kids. And then when they got pregnant, it was the best thing that ever happened to them. I hear that a lot from people. Um, she was always really lucky in love, um, but she was really, really careful with her heart and her emotions. So she was, I've seen pictures of her and she was beautiful. I'm not surprised she was lucky in love because she was beautiful. Um, and she kind of, she always met people. She always met people. If she liked somebody, she kind of, she got with them kind of thing. Yeah, she was that kind of person. She would be single by choice. So if she didn't want to be with somebody, she would, she could just be single by choice. She didn't have to be with anyone. She didn't kind of rely on being in a relationship yeah, to be happy. Yeah, she was very, very independent, yeah. But she kind of, if she wasn't interested, she didn't find it hard to meet new love interests. So the highlight of everyone's day was seeing her. She would kind of always make you laugh and always make you smile no matter how you felt. So she would just imagine like the kind of that positive energy person that you have. I think everybody, all of us have that one person, or, or you might be lucky, you might have a handful of people that are just very positive people. And she seemed to be, from things that I read and statements that I read, she seems to be one of those kind of people that she was just a really positive energy to be around and people really enjoyed being around her because of that. Yeah, of course. So at 8.33 on the 30th of July, 2019, Hampshire Fire and Rescue received a call of smoke coming from a dress at Grange Crescent, which was just off Cambridge Road. Okay, just remember Cambridge Road. It's just off Cambridge Road. Neighbours had saw smoke coming out of the house and they called 999 because it didn't smell like a normal fire. So it didn't smell like a normal house fire, they said. Smoke was billowing out of the house at this point. Builders who actually were working in the area saw the scene. They also called 999. And as most people probably would, they were banging on the windows and the doors to try and kind of raise the alarm for if somebody was in the house but nobody nobody responded. There was no response from the house. Nothing, nothing happened from that. So they assumed nobody was in the house. Four to five firemen arrived on a big fire engine. They attempted to kind of put the fire out, okay? So the neighbours made it clear that there was concerns that kids kind of could be inside of the house because they saw them regularly kind of coming in and out of the house. They knew that Kellyanne had children. Right. They knew she had three kids. And although I'll cover it in a moment, they weren't living there at the time, they would stay over and they would go over. So they were obviously concerned that her kids were in the house along with her, but they hoped that nobody was there. They hoped that maybe Kellyanne was out or something like that. So the fire service, obviously, when they attended, they broke down the door and they found two sources of fire downstairs. So the one was in the kitchen and one was in the living room. OK, so they found that there was two two main sources of fire. It hadn't come from upstairs. It had come from downstairs. 
when they made their way upstairs to go and check the bedrooms and all that kind of stuff as they do check from room to room they checked the front bedroom nobody was there it was all good nobody was in there but when they checked the back bedroom they found a female in the bedroom naked on the bed clearly she was dead she was bound and she was viciously stabbed and beaten so obviously at this point the fire crew are going to alert the police while they continue to tackle the fire downstairs while the police deal with the murder scene upstairs okay you've got to remember water um water is one of those things it destroys most things and fire destroys a lot of things so the last thing they want to do is contaminate a crime scene by fire or something like that so they obviously needed to tackle that fire make sure that the fire was out so that it didn't contaminate the crime scene upstairs which could potentially happen i know we've covered a couple of cases where um water's been involved and when water's involved it causes massive issues with like dna um, deterioration and stuff so they didn't want any of that to happen so kellyanne's family heard that there was a fire in the area and as i think most people probably would they made their way to the area fearing that it was their family's home yeah i think most people would do that if you hear of something in the area you panic don't you yeah, of course so kellyanne's family kind of made her their way over to kellyanne's house to confirm it was her home and at that point two cid officers confirmed to the family that yes it was kellyanne's home and there was a body dead inside but they couldn't confirm at that point who this female was they just said it was a person a person had been found dead inside the home CID managed to confirm that it was murder and later on during this time they identified the victim as Kellyanne so it was confirmed that this was the the owner of the Mm -hmm. home or the tenant of the home it was obviously clear to investigators that the fire had been set deliberately as I said before there was two sources of fire one in the kitchen and one in the um, living room so this was actually caused by bedding being piled up in the rooms and then set alight So, I mean, you would assume that this is kind of likely in an attempt to spread the fire quickly. Yeah. So you would think if they've distributed it in two different sources, you would think that they've done this to try and spread the fire so that the house will hopefully burn down and cover up whatever crime they've kind of committed. At the crime scene, um, the bedding had been stripped off the bed that Kellyanne had been found on. She she, She was found on kind of a laid bare bed. Um, Kellyanne's hands had been bound with multiple cable ties Um, she'd suffered multiple stab wounds and slash wounds to her torso her throat had been slit multiple times her face and body had been badly beaten there was blood all over the walls and the floor so the immediate assumption otherwise in this is if she's naked they would assume that there's a sexual motive behind it or kind of there may have been a sexual assault or something like that okay Police obviously were originally suggesting that this was a stranger possibly responsible for this. So they they assumed this because it's not very often that this happens. It's not very often this happens in the area. And they assume, wrongly so, that this is possibly a stranger. But what they decided to do was, very quickly, they just kind of checked to see if there was any murders in the UK that kind of matched this MO. 
that looked a bit like this, where a female had been attacked, been found, and a fire had been set. They looked for those kind of um, connectors. Right. But nothing matched in any current cases in the UK. So they kind of, at that point, they they must have thought to themselves, well, it's not matching anything at the moment. So this could just be an isolated incident. It could just be just one, one person. Up, yeah. yeah, kind of one of those scenarios. Obviously, as I said, the community is very, very small. It's a small kind of friendly area. And this absolutely terrified the community. Like people were panicking and they were really, really worried that, you know, a woman in her mid-20s could be viciously attacked and murdered in her own home with seemingly no motive, no nothing, no reason in the slightest. As I said before, there was a lot of petty crimes in the area, but nothing to this standard. Murders were so few and far between this wasn't a regular thing. This isn't kind of like what you would get in London or Liverpool or Manchester or the very well-built areas. It wasn't like that in Gosport. It's kind of a bit like if that crime happened where I grew up. Yeah. It'd be a very different scenario. You know, you ex- you don't expect it to happen in those areas. Obviously, it does happen, but you don't expect it to. So... Obviously, they did the post-mortem on Kellyanne. And just to give you another trigger warning, I do normally give a trigger warning in our show notes, but I'm just going to give another trigger warning because I am going to cover what they revealed in the post-mortem. So in the post-mortem, they actually revealed that there was eight shallow wounds above her collarbone. She'd suffered rib fractures. She had a nine-centimetre wound to the back of her right shoulder and another two centimetre wound, which was inflicted during the attack and before her death. Kellyanne's throat had been sliced several times, causing the windpipe to sever the jugular vein and some of the carotid artery. So the carotid artery, if you don't already know, you've ever heard of the carotid artery? Yeah. It's one of those arteries that if if you nick it, if you slice it, anything like that, you'll very quickly bleed to death. Obviously, this this kind of attack on that area on her and causing a cut in her carotid artery, this would have obviously caused huge damage and a loss of blood to her, ultimately leading to her death. So she actually bled to death because of this attack. Some of the injuries to her neck are actually thought to have been caused after she'd already died. So this attacker continued to attack her after she'd already died. Which I think that just, to me, that just shows even more brutality and so much more anger because this person's already dead and you're defiling their body even more when they're already fucking dead. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Like, she's dead, just fucking leave her alone. Why carry on attacking her? There's another reason, do you? Well, I will go on to that. Okay. (laughs) I will cover that. Why? Okay, you will understand why this person clearly has so much anger. So... Officers noticed that there was no forced entry to the front door and the back door had been unlocked. So the back door was already unlocked. Investigators needed to find out if the attacker was someone Kelly knew would be home alone and that the door would be unlocked or if it was just a chancer. So someone basically just trying the door, seeing that it was unlocked, their lucky day, and then they went in. Okay, so it could have been either. Officers obviously went and did house-to-house questioning and the neighbours stated that they'd seen a male that morning at about 6.55 hanging around in the area near Kellyanne's home. 
he was described as scruffy, unshaven, and he kind of looked off. He looked off and like he was surveilling the area. He hadn't been seen in this area before, so it wasn't like he was a neighbour hanging around or something like that. No one had ever seen him before in the same area. So this was potentially a path that the officers could obviously go down to investigate if they could ID this person who is to either rule him into the case or rule him out of it. Another possible lead is that the day before Kellyanne was actually found dead in her home, she told her friend that she had received threats over the phone by three men threatening to break into her home and rape her. So they needed to figure out who were these men, mm-hmm. who were these three men, and were they involved? So you've got two potential lines basically there. So the person that potentially was outside of her house, surveying the area, and then these three men that had apparently said that they were going to break into her house and rape her over the phone. Another thing that could have potentially been something to look into was there was actually an incident in March of that year that could be linked to this incident. Okay, And this incident, she had a party at her home. So she had a house party, which I'll go into, does happen quite regularly at her home. That was a regular thing that happened. She did have house parties quite a lot. And a man had actually suffered a broken jaw at her home. I couldn't find any information about how the attack happened, if it was even if it was even to do with Kelly and why he had his jaw broken, but his jaw was broken and his family blamed Kellyanne for this. Right. So there must be something I can't find it in any source or anything that I found why what this attack was, but this could potentially be linked to this. And as I said, she received threats of his family for this attack. And this actually caused her to leave the area temporarily. She moved away for like three to four months to get away from it. She didn't leave long, did she? No. So you've got to remember, all of the family are in this area. Her kids are in the area. And why leave? Why not just stay then? Because these people terrified her. Why come back? I don't know. I don't know. I can't answer that. And Kellyanne can't say that because she's not here. Um, But she, she ended up coming back to the area. I'm assuming she thought... Well, it's probably died down now and I'll come back. I'm assuming that's what most people probably do. Wait for things to die down and then come back afterwards. So when she actually returned back to Gosport from being away, neighbours in the area noticed a real kind of change in her personality. So they noticed that she was more withdrawn. She'd keep herself to herself more. Um, she wouldn't, she'd regularly stand outside and smoke and talk to people. She didn't do that anymore. She just, she didn't seem like the same kind of Kellyanne that left three to four months prior. But the noise didn't stop. So Kellyanne had her own struggles in her life, yeah. This centred mainly around drink and drugs, which a lot of the time, unfortunately, is the case. Most of her issues centred around that. She was really, really well known in the area. She had a really big circle of friends, like a really wide circle of friends, her neighbours weren't so keen on her, though. And the reason they weren't so keen on her... Well, she's partying all the time. Because she'd drink, host... Yeah. Drinking drugs. Yeah, I wouldn't be fucking keen you on would've, someone. Would you? You no. know I mean? She hosted parties three to four times a week at her home. Well, there you go, then. Yeah. Um, this obviously led to police being called often for noise complaints and antisocial behaviour problems. So it's what you kind of expect. I mean, 
neighbours aren't going to be too keen. I know we kind of went over this last week on a normal um, bi-weekly episode about having like bad neighbours and being really, really noisy and stuff. Like it's it makes your life shit when you've got bad neighbours. Someone by having a house party every now and then. No, but if it's all three, four times a week, you got to consider it. Everyone else is they've, they've either got work or they've got kids. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah. I would be pissy. You would be pissy, yeah. You wouldn't like it, would you? No, no way. So as I said, they they weren't keen on her at all. I kind of just went over this briefly, but for reasons I'm not going to kind of speak on, her three children were removed from her care temporarily. And that's why they weren't living at her home with her. That's why they weren't in the house. So thank God they weren't there. I can't even imagine though. I mean, I can't speak, I can't speak too much on this because I don't have children and I've not been in that situation, but I can't imagine how it would affect your mental health especially if you're already struggling with alcohol and drugs, to then have your children taken away yeah, from you. but there's probably a reason why, though. I know, and that's what I was going to say. I understand there's always a reason for social services to take away children, even temporarily. I'm not saying they were removed permanently, but it was just temporarily. So I'm assuming this was an att- attempt for her to kind of try and deal with her demons and deal with her issues so that she could eventually get them back permanently. I see, oh, that's what I would assume it's to do. That's they normally do that temporarily to, for that reason. But like you just said, there's a reason why I think you just they remove help, children. I think you just got to help yourself. You know, you got to help yourself. Oh, of course you, know. you do. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I do think you have can't to help yourself as well. But they want help. Help. Do you know what I mean? No. You know, if you don't want help. Yeah. I think that's as well, though, like, I think you feel so strongly about that because of your, not your history, you, but, like, things that you've dealt with in your life. Hmm. That's why you feel so strongly about it, is that you do have to help yourself and is, only you can stop yourself. The thing is, you know, there's, there's help out there, especially now, compared yeah, to, loads. like, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever. Yeah. There's loads of help. There's loads of support. Do you know what I mean? I Through agree. friends, strangers, or anything like that. Yeah. Um, if Some people don't want it. Some people... Yeah want to blame the systems and they got no money but they got money to buy drugs drink and all that you know yeah. you know what do you but then don't blame don't blame everyone else you know what i mean oh my kids yeah. taking away me it's the it's, it's, it's the government or it's the mm. you know whatever it's you love you got to look in the mirror same yeah. with everyone else you know what i mean so you yeah you know that that's how i feel people might not agree <laughs> with me but you know no, yeah. I think and you... i might be upsetting a few people <laughs> but at the end of the day it's like we We've all got fucking demons and fucking things that we've got to sort out and, yeah. you know, commitments and things like that. But yeah. if you're going through problems, you know, there's people out there, obviously, that, that can help you. That can help, yeah. Can help guys, you know. Um, I know I know it's, you know it's not easy, but... Nothing is ever easy, though. Nothing no, that's no, of hard not. is no, of ever not. easy. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's what life's about, though, you know? I mean, life's going to beat you down. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, I think it's how you get back up, isn't yeah. it, and deal with it. Whether you let it keep you down there, that's another story. Mm. And it is hard fucking getting back up. And I'm speaking from experience going back, oh, fucking hell, 20, 20 years ago, maybe even a bit longer. Yeah. You know, for having issues like, yourself. Issues yeah. and no one, no one and family issues. And I need, you know, I was hitting the bomb yeah. at one point. And I just, it, I just took it one day at a time. And it was fucking hard, guys, you know. Um, but, you know, I'm all right now, you know what I mean? 20 yeah. years ago, you know. And, and you make new friends and you get out of that circle and shit, yeah. you know. Um, I would like just... to say it turned a corner about 14 years ago. <laughs> uh, about 14 years ago, my ass, you know what I mean? That's when we met, by the way. <laughs> she was at the right place, right time. That's all I got to say. You know I mean? 
Actually, I was asleep. No, I'm not going to say. Stop. No. Stop that. Let's stop no. there now. I was asleep and she called me. I just want to put that stop out there, guys. That. All right? You know what I mean? <laughs> I used my Jedi mind trick to get her. You know, if any Star Wars fans out there, you know, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> so we digress anyway, coming off that. Um, at the time, um, Kellyanne was dating 32-year-old Will Valenda. Um, and he actually came forward that he was obviously seeing Kellyanne at the time and he thought he might have been the last person to see her. You see, the reason he said that is because he left her house at 6.30 that morning with a friend and got a taxi home from her home. So him and his friend had been at her home and they'd left at 6.30 that morning to get a taxi back to Will Valenda's house. Mm -hmm. At this point, I was shocked when I heard this. They arrested him on suspicion of murder straight away. (laughs) (coughs) It went from zero to ten quick. But the reason they did that was because he's just admitted that he was probably the last person to see her apart from the person that killed her. He was the last person. So they obviously wanted to either rule him out or find out what was going on with that scenario. So, as I said, he was arrested on suspicion of murder and his phone was taken away from him for examination and he was taken straight for interview. During that interview, he said he'd been drinking most of the day in Gosport with his friend, 29-year-old Brendan Rowis Davies. He'd got a call off Kelly about midnight, between 12 and 12.30 that night, she said she'd had some friends over. She'd fell out with one of her friends and that could he kind of come over to kind of just cheer her up? She was in a bit of a shit mood. Could he come over and just cheer her up a little bit? So Brendan and Will would meet kind of every once in a while. They weren't besties, but they were good enough friends to meet up every once in a while and have a drink and all that kind of stuff. And he actually tagged along to Kelly's house, to Kelly Ann's house, He could have just gone home, but he didn't. He decided to come along to Kellyanne's house with Will when he went over there. They stopped off at the shop to get vodka and they went to her house where they spent the night sniffing coke and drinking. Will Valenda and Kelly went to bed where they had sex. That's important to know. They went to bed, went and had sex and they left Brendan downstairs to sleep. They both left the house at about 6.30 the next morning. He told Brendan to lock the back door. Remember what I told you about what the police saw? Yeah. Yeah. He told Brendan to lock the back door and they would leave through the front door, lock the door, and then Will would post the keys through the letterbox so that the door was locked, Mm -hmm. okay? She was home alone at this point. They got a taxi back to Will's house. They arrived at about 6.40 and Brendan said, after about 20 minutes that he was going to go home and he was going to leave Will's house and he was just going to go straight home. I blame Brendan. Brendan Gilwee. Done. Yeah, is that where you go? Brendan, that's it. Sorry, mate. You're going to jail. (laughs) Life. (laughs) (laughs) So they obviously needed to interview Brendan Brendan Rowan Davies at this point. Police obviously went to go and find him. And during this time, Will actually called Brendan and told him that Kellyanne had been murdered and the police need to speak to you. Can you go and see them? Can you call them? Can you go and see them? Can you go and speak to them, please? It's important. But police found it really suspicious when Brendan didn't contact them. Oh, so I told you 100% Brendan. I told you. I've solved the okay. case already. I'm done. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
So police ended up locating and arresting Brendan Rose Davies in Portsmouth, where he was with his brother at the time, and they'd been drinking, and he was just with his brother. And they attempt they arrested him as well on suspicion of murder. <laughs> okay. Arrest everyone. So they released Will, yeah. but they arrested Brendan. Okay. When they actually arrested Brendan, it was mentioned to him that Kellyanne had been murdered. And he said, quote, I had an idea about that. Mm. I had an idea about that. Is it just me or do you think that's a really weird, strange comment to make when someone says to you, the woman you spent all night with drinking and sniffing coke with has been murdered and you say, yeah, I had an idea about that. Oh, probably still fucking on a high, isn't he? <laughs> I told you, Brendan. I told you three minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's your that's your thing. Yeah, oh, that's 100%, 100%, that's my thing. I that's don't care if I've been wrong. That's that's Brendan getting blamed me. If I was a judge, that would be it. So what probably won't make it any better then for your opinion is that whilst he was in an interview, all the questions he answered with no comment. Well, there you go. Yeah. Which it can go either way. I understand the reason sometimes, but you don't want to incriminate yourself. But on the other thing is if you're not guilty, if you haven't done anything, wouldn't you? answer some questions and not just give no comment i don't know it's not looking too great for brendan rowan davies at this point is it so at this point they were checking cctv to corroborate will valenda's kind of process of what happened during that day okay they did spot everything that will valenda said they corroborated all of that but CCTV actually spotted Brendan Rowan Davies leaving his flat after arriving home. So he'd left Will Valenda's house, gone back to his flat, walked back to his flat. And then after a little while of staying in his flat, they saw him leaving again. Right. He changed his clothes and he was carrying a bag on his back. You know, like one of those um, JD Sports bags, yeah. the plastic ones. He was carrying one of those. And he got on a bus at about 730 am he got off near cambridge road which if you remember from earlier on is just off grange crescent which is where kellyanne's house is he got off this at 7 43 and he was picked up on camera walking towards kellyanne's house he was seen leaving the area about 40 minutes later he walks to his mum's house which isn't very far from kellyanne's house this was about 9am. When he left, he changed his clothes whilst he was there and he left her home. He walked along a footpath, dumped a bag of clothes. We know this because of what was spotted. He dumped a bag of clothes and he burnt them. A witness actually found these clothes smouldering two hours later. Obviously, with the crime in the area, they found out about what happened, so they reported this straight away to the police. And the police actually recovered this bag of smouldering clothes. So yep. they recovered these things that he dumped. Brendan walked to his flat, and he was seen on two CCTV cameras carrying bags into the communal bins. So the big, again, Biffa bins, he was seen throwing two bags into there. When the police went to the bins, they found the bags... And inside the bags, they found a pair of ladies' underwear and a pair of white trainers with blood on. 
So the same ones, the, these trainers were exactly the same ones he was seen on CCTV wearing to Kellyanne's house on the bus. Yeah, the bus he got at 7.30, he was seen wearing them trainers. Yeah. They also found cable ties that matched the ones that had bound Kellyanne's hands and her wrists. So you can automatically assume, why has he got the same cable ties that were used to bound a dead woman that he's dumped? There's a reason why he's done that. The only connection, weirdly, between Brendan and Kellyanne was through Will Valenda. They, they didn't know each other apart from this. They was purely only knew each other because of Will, because Will was dating yeah, Kellyanne. Yeah. That was the only reason. Brendan was six foot three, just to give you an example of him. He's six foot three. He's a large built man. He's got a very, he's got quite a low IQ sitting around 50 or 60. He's got quite severe learning difficulties. Just to give you an example, um, his IQ is between 50 and 60. An average IQ is between 90 and 109. So just to give you a, a range of the IQ difference. Um, he actually has six previous convictions. And one of these was for burglary. And why this stands out so much was because during this burglary, a woman was actually home alone with her kids. And he walked into her home. They actually ended up barricading themselves in an upstairs bedroom. They obviously called the police and all that kind of stuff. And when they when they heard that he'd gone, they obviously left the room and they found that there was a knife on the stairs when they'd left out that wasn't there before. They obviously arrested him. And what he tried to say was that he'd saw a man inside of her house and he tried to go in and help. This was his excuse. Okay. Remembering the size of Brendan Rowan Davies, how big he is, Kellyanne had no chance. She was really, really slim. I think she was like, from what I saw, she was like seven stone something, five foot two. She was small. She had no fucking chance against him. You got to remember, she's been partying all night. She's sleeping off a heavy, heavy night. She's naked and she's fast asleep when she's attacked. She hasn't got a hope in hell's chance of fighting this man off that is massive compared to her so forensics actually showed that kellyanne's dna and rowan davis's dna was on the cable ties that were used to bound kellyanne's wrists so he's connected straight away to the crime scene dna on his trainers that were recovered from those bins were confirmed as kellyanne's so they were definitely dna confirmed it. it wasn't a chance they were definitely his trainers and at this point he was charged for murder People laid flowers and candles, teddies and cards and stuff outside the home that she was obviously murdered in. And a fundraiser was started for her funeral, which actually, uh, like, I think it was like 1,300 quid to pay, help pay for a funeral, which everything helps, oh, doesn't yeah, it, yeah, in that course, scenario. Yeah. The problem is at this point, they had to try and convince, the police had to try and convince a jury that he was responsible. Brendan Rose Davies was responsible for Kellyanne's murder and not, the man seen lurking outside her home that morning and or and or whichever the three men that threatened her over the phone and threatened to attack her and rape her this put a massive question mark over the case i don't think it helped that there was no answers regarding any of these so that person outside of her house was never id'd ever 
and the three men that apparently called her and threatened her were never identified either. So none of those were ever identified. So they were always going to put a big question mark over the case because they couldn't answer for who were these people. Of course. Police officers actually, I, I haven't put this in my notes or anything, but what they did end up saying is police officers thought that she was going through a lot of the time, you know, she was drinking heavily, she was doing drugs heavily. They thought that it was just paranoia with these three people. She thought it could, they they thought that it could be something, but they didn't think that these three men were actually something that happened. They thought maybe she was just kind of over-exaggerating, maybe. Um, so, as I said, there was there was no answers over this one. And their query was, would a jury find him guilty with reasonable doubt? Because there is a little bit of reasonable doubt there. You know, they've not oh, yeah, answered course, yeah. these questions. Yeah. So he was taken to court on the 14th of January 2020, where he went to Winchester Crown Court to face trial. His defence said that he went back to Kellyanne's house that morning as he'd left his tobacco there and he'd found the back door wide open. He said, this is all what his defence said, he went upstairs and he saw Kellyanne naked on the bed, unconscious, but he was grabbed from behind by a masked man who held a knife against his neck. He said that he would apparently kill him if he told anyone what he'd seen. He obviously denied murder and absolutely terrified, he left the address and didn't tell anybody. This is what his defence is saying. During, though, cross-examination, his story kind of started to fall apart. It didn't hold up during cross-examination. The question was, why didn't the attacker hurt him? If he was attacked, why didn't the attacker hurt him? Why did they let him leave the house? Why would they leave him alive or even unhurt when this person apparently is going to viciously attack a defenceless woman who's asleep and cause all these catastrophic injuries to her why are they going to leave him uninjured? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that doesn't sound true, no. True, does it at all? The other question, why was his DNA on zip ties used to bound Kelly's hands and her wrists? His defence said that he was pushed, on air, in air quotes, onto Kelly, and that's how his DNA got onto the zip ties. There was no explanation, though, why the cable ties that were used to bound Kellyanne how were these found in the bins outside his flat? That didn't either match up. There's just massive, there's plot holes in all of this. The other question, why did he change his clothes at his mum's house? He had no defence for this either. He had no response for why he had to go and change his clothes after leaving her house to go to his mum's house. Why did he change them? Why did he burn them? CCTV from the streets after he'd left Kellyanne's house showed he was not scared. He wasn't terrified. He was walking calmly, slowly, literally just casually walking down the road. He wasn't stressed. What you would see, we've seen people on camera that you can tell when someone's yeah. acting dodgy or they're terrified. Course, yeah. You can tell. So defence said that he'd left Kellyanne's house at 8.30 with a masked man still inside. Yeah, this is what he's saying, 8.30. But he's saying she wasn't murdered, she was unconscious, and there was no fire. But if you remember, the builders reported the fire at 8.33, three minutes. So what he wants us to believe is that a masked man 
in three minutes, managed to torture her, cause all those injuries to Kellyanne's body, kill her, move all the bed in, and strip it, take it downstairs, and set a fire to her house in three minutes. That doesn't no, that doesn't really match yeah. up, no. So, motive. We need to look at his motive and why he did this. So, the clear motive in this was his sexual interest in Kellyanne. It actually emerged that he'd always kind of fancied her, and he actually told her that night that he did fancy her, but she laughed it off and didn't take it serious. Kerry, Kellyanne's sister, said she would have never have gone out with him, and he hated that. That really angered him that she would never go out with him and she would never date him. Davis's phone was examined, and this showed that that night when they went to bed, and I said to you they went upstairs to have sex, yeah. he filmed it through a gap in the door like some fucking pervert. Peeping Tom. Yeah. And the thing is, he tried to delete it afterwards, but as we know, you know, there's forensic, um, what are they called? Like f- the f- forensic computer people that deal with all the phones and stuff. Yeah, yeah they, there's they, digital footprint. Yeah, there's a digital footprint for even when you've deleted it. So they actually found that video and that's how they found it. So the stab wounds to Kelly were likely in an attempt to just gain control over Kelly. That's what they ascertained. They, they were torturous to try and get her to kind of submit to him. The multiple stab and slash wounds from her chest and her hips were done as torture, the broken ribs, the throat that had been slashed seven to ten times were mostly just a poor torture, Kellyanne. That's all they purely were. They weren't to kill her. They were to fucking torture her, to submit her into what he wanted out of her. It's purely a case that he couldn't handle the fact that she had turned him down. Kelly had laughed off his advances. He hated it that she would never willingly have sex with him or even entertain the idea of anything more. He was so angry that he went back to her house after already leaving, viciously fucking tortured and murdered her, then attempted to burn her house down in an attempt to cover up his actions. All this says to me, Sorry if I offend anyone, but small dick energy. That's all that gives me. It's small dick energy. Mr. Justice Garnham stated, it, quote, Either you obtained pleasure from inflicting wounds on Miss Case before you went on to kill her, in which case it was sadistic in motivation. You inflicted pain to persuade her to have sex with you and killed her when she refused. After 16 days at trial and four hours of jury deliberation, they came back unanimously guilty of murder and sentenced him to 30 years with no parole. Brendan Rose Davis lodged an appeal, but not for the murder or for the arson charges. They actually they actually placed an appeal that the criminal offence was sadistic in nature, forming the judge's decision to place a 30-year minimum tariff on it. That's why he was given 30 years. Howard Barrington Clark, who represented Rowan Davis, said, quote, The jury says whether someone is guilty of murder. The judge decides if it is sadistic or sexual of nature, and there the judge has to be satisfied to the criminal standard of proof. Here, in this case, the judge said, yes, it's sadistic or sexual, and said it's more likely it was sadistic, therefore that's why he gave him the 30 years. But him saying more likely is way below the criminal standard of proof, end quote. 
I looked fucking everywhere for the results of this appeal. You gotta remember it wasn't that long ago. This is only in 2020, so it wasn't that long yeah, ago. Three years ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. And it was to the tail end of 2020. Um, I can't find anything more about the appeal. If it went to the high court, or if they were even accepting the, the appeal will be heard by the court. So hopefully this case, no news is good news, and we can kind of leave him where he is in prison. Um, to kind of end this week's, well, this month's case, um, her sister Kerry stated, quote, she's just happy to get justice for her sister, but I will never bring her back. I personally think he's a violent, disgusting, and I hope to God I never see him again. He's a sick individual and should never be released. She was the kindest and most caring out of us all, and I would like Kelly to be remembered for who she was and not what he did to her. Us as the family have lost a big part, especially my mum and her children, and they've lost their mum, and my mum has lost her daughter. End quote. So, saying that, I am going to end April's subscriber episode here, and let us take a moment to remember Kellyanne Case, um, the mother, the sister, the daughter, and the friend, not the victim. So, that's this month's case. I hope you enjoyed it as much as you can. Um, this is a really, really sad one. Um, the only kind of, the only good thing about it is, is that he is likely to spend the rest of his life in prison. He has no parole. I mean, he might, he might get it after 30 years, possibly, but we just don't know at this point. I mean, hopefully his appeal doesn't go through and he stays where he is. But he was 29 and you think 30 years that only leads to 59 years. You know, he could still be up young. Yeah, yeah. 60s, not going to be really, really old. So this this was just a really, really sad case of just something trivial, someone being turned down, didn't get what he wanted, and this is what happened from something just so trivial as to this. And this could happen to many people. You just need that one person that doesn't like being turned down, and that's what he did. That's what Brendan Rose Davis did. So thank you for joining us this month and we will catch you guys next month, won't we, Ate, for May's subscriber-only episode. Thank you for listening and we will speak to you guys soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, bye.